It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everywhere you look, on the news, on social media, horrifying images of death and destruction are bleeding out of Ukraine. It's a war that can't be ignored, even, it seems, from space. People always say, well, astronauts don't see borders. You know, let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya, like back in the 60s. The reality is I did see borders. I saw bombs going off in Ukraine. You can actually see politics from space. For the past 23 years, the International Space Station has come to be a symbol of cooperation between Russia and the West. But could war and escalating tensions on Earth spill over into space? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, war from above. The view from the International Space Station. The view of the planet is so spectacular. And the first time I saw it in daylight, I launched at four in the morning. We were flying over the North Atlantic and the sun was rising. That's Terry Vertz, a retired NASA astronaut and the former commander of the International Space Station. And I remember looking out and seeing this blue band of sunrise. And it was like the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. It was actually a shade of blue that I had never seen before. It's hard to describe with words, but it's pretty awesome. And you're also in the incredibly unusual position of being able to describe what it feels like and what it looks like to look down on Earth at a time where there's a war going on. Because that's what happened to you in 2014, back when Crimea was being invaded. What does that look like from space? My last mission was right in the middle of some really bad times between the West and Russia, to say the least. I remember one winter night in, in 2015 looking down through the Russian window in their service module with one of the cosmonaut friends of mine who was there with me. Over eastern Ukraine, you could see bombs going off. They were like red flashes. And it was so profound to be looking at people being killed on Earth from space. It was something I never expected to see. So it was a pretty humbling experience. I can imagine. And as you're looking down and you're watching these explosions from afar, you're seeing... Earth and you're seeing everything being disrupted by by war. How do you turn around and talk to the people around you about it? Because, you know, at the time you were the commander of the 
International Space Station. And obviously that's a very mixed crew. You've got Russians yeah. and you've got Americans. Well, what conversations would you have around that? When I was in space, we were very aware of what's happening on Earth. It was affecting my Russian crewmates because the ruble got devalued by 50% when we put sanctions on them. And they were actually getting paid in dollars. So in some ways they got a pay raise, <laughs> which is <laughs> ironic, but we didn't ignore it. We would just say, look, politics is politics. This stuff's happening on earth. Our main goal is to stay alive. We're going to try and be an example of how people can and should get along. And I was very proud of that. But during my time on the station, that was probably the most proud thing of my career was keeping the crew together. You just have to be professional and ignore it and try and survive because you're in a very dangerous environment yourself. And are you following the news while you're there? Very much so. You have email. NASA actually can, they can send up one channel at a time. And so at the first part of my mission, the commander was a sports guy. So they were sending up the sports channel. And then the second part, the, <laughs> we had a different crew and they, they were interested in news. So they sent up CNN. But even without that, there's a daily set of videos that they send you so you can open up the files and watch the local news. And, and it was something we were very aware of. And so when you do look out and, and see the bombs going off, I mean, would you talk about that with the Russian astronauts? Or did you all just sort of look away? I made it a point to go have dinner with the Russians every night. I would make my dinner, put it in a Ziploc bag, float down the Russian segment, and we would talk about the family, we'd watch Russian TV. They'd teach me bad words in Russian that you don't learn in class. Um, and it was actually a really great experience. We just didn't talk a lot about what was happening in Ukraine. You know, if you have the family member who's the serious right-wing anti-vaxxer and you have the other family member who's liberal guy, it, when it's, we have Thanksgiving, when you have uh, whatever Christmas dinner, it's better to not talk about those things. It sounds very sensible. Um, it's really interesting where you sort of describe uh, ziplocking your your dinner and, and taking it down towards the Russian side. <laughs> For people who've never been on the International Space Station, which is most of us, just take us on a little virtual tour. What is it like when you're there? What, what, what is the geography like and how big is it? Well, it's made of modules, roughly 15 or so. And each one is kind of the size of a small school bus. You can reach something from any point. It's not so big that you can be stuck in the middle of it floating, if that makes sense. The modules go from the Japanese and European module on the front. There's a few American modules in the middle, and that connects to the Russian segment, which is in the back. And the Russian modules are very much like the Mir space station. They have a Soviet vibe. They're, they're kind of a darker yellow, darker green military kind of looking thing. The, uh, the American and Japanese and European modules are very bright. They look like 2001 A Space Odyssey, if you saw that movie. Kind of bright, plastic, metallic, lots of computers, lots of wires. It's like you're living in a lab because you're living in a lab. <laughs> That's what it is. How does it work in terms of uh, the projects you do while you th you're there? I mean, you are you doing totally different things? Yes. Are the Russians working on one thing and you're working on another? Well, everybody's working on something different every day. You start this day at roughly 7.30 GMT, with a phone call to the Houston, Moscow, Europe, Japan, all the different control centers. And then everybody goes about their own work for the day. There's always this negotiation of like who owes who what, and like, you know, the Russians owe us 100 hours of crew time, or we owe Europe 50 hours of crew time. And so there's this kind of negotiated, bartered arrangement. So they would come down and help us with experiments. 
And so my goal as commander was to make it one crew. It's very easy to have it be them and us. And I I really made an effort. I really tried to keep them involved and hopefully keep them together. Remember, these are people who are not selected for being political or petty or easily distractible. These are people who need to be calm and cool and level-headed. That's Jackie Goddard, who as the Times correspondent in Florida, keeps a close eye on the NASA Space Center at Cape Canaveral and regularly chats to astronauts on our behalf. They have a way of broaching a subject like this in ways that are somewhat more diplomatic than (laughs) than we might imagine. You don't have to agree with one another if there are disagreements on the space station, but you do have to understand and work around other people's viewpoints. And I think they have a very astute ability to do that. So as an astronaut, you really have to be a diplomat too. I think the ultimate diplomat. In a way, we've always known that space was one of the battlegrounds in the Cold War, but it's also almost a petri dish for how you can cooperate too. I mean, take us back to 1975 and the Apollo-Soyuz mission. Tell us a bit about what happened. So it was just before the uh, sixth anniversary, actually, of the first moon landing back in 1975 that the space race between the US and the Soviet Union culminated. There was an American spacecraft that docked with a Soviet capsule in low Earth orbit. It was called the Apollo-Soyuz Test Project. Apollo Houston, I got two messages for you. Moscow is go for docking. Houston is go for docking. It's up to you guys. Have fun. All righty. Sounds good. The hatches were opened and crew members from each of the uh, nations opened up their hatches and shook hands. They shared meals. They held some joint press conferences. They did some joint science experiments. And it was really to set the tone for what would come later down the line with further collaborations between the two nations in space. The mission climaxed more than three years of planning and preparation, a time during which differences in language, in technology, in political creeds, were set aside in favour of the common goal. Of course, this race to see who could be first to launch a satellite, well, Russia, who could be first to launch uh, a person into space, Russia. And then the race to the moon, of course, was a race that Russia fell behind on and America stepped up and had its six Lula landings. Fast forward then to Ronald Reagan's presidency in the US, who built on that, this sort of idealistic, harmonious post-Cold War vision where he figured to strengthen peace. He provided the mandate for the construction of the International Space Station. We can follow our dreams to distant stars, living and working in space for peaceful economic and scientific gain. Tonight, I am directing NASA to develop a permanently manned space station and to do it within a decade. So 22 years now, humans have lived aboard the space station and it is a kind of symbol of peace and harmony and And while we might all be at each other's throats down on Earth, that we can still at least get along in space. I mean, it it is remarkable to think at the height of the Cold War, they were still able to shake hands. And, you know, it clearly represented a world where we could cooperate. Take us back to that moment in, in 1998. You know, you talked about the start of the International Space Station. How did it come about? I mean, this is sort of just as the Cold War has sort of, the Cold War is over. There's a sense that maybe, you know, that we will have this harmonious coexistence Tell us about the big thought behind it and how it came to be. 
Yes, well, the lead partners in the International Space Station uh, Partnership are the US and Russia. And you also then have the Canadian Space Agency, Japanese Space Agency, and then the European Space Agency, which encompasses 15 nations, including Britain. It has, you know, also been this sort of facilitator for science diplomacy and space diplomacy. And, and again, I think that, that message that it sends of being almost <laughs> this untouchable partnership. And that partnership has been on rocky ground in recent weeks. We've seen the very fiery, erratic head of the Russian space agency, Dmitry Rugozin, who has made a lot of very outlandish pronouncements on the future of the space partnership and of the space station, some of which has been somewhat off the charts, as is his way. And and NASA has been at pains to keep that a, a stable relationship. In 2014, when Russia first invaded Crimea and they could see it from the International Space Station, that was probably the start of the real tensions between the two space agencies. And I know back then, Rogozhin got involved too. What was he threatening? He said, after analysing the sanctions against their space history, I suggest to the USA that they bring their astronauts to the ISS using a trampoline. Because at that point, and actually still since, there had been a reliance after the US space shuttle fleet retired in 2011, there came a period when the US had nothing no space taxis to get his own astronauts back and forth to the ISS. So it's been dependent on Russia to give them a lift, basically. Obviously, a lot of money changes hands in order to do that. Mm. Then in, in more recent years, NASA has developed commercial providers to start taking over that job and running space taxi service for them. Then along came Elon Musk and SpaceX and these commercial services that NASA now contracts for. A couple of years ago, when uh, SpaceX launched its first crewed mission on a Crew Dragon spacecraft taking NASA astronauts to the ISS under contract to NASA, Elon Musk very triumphantly tweeted, the trampoline is working. <laughs> and then in more recent weeks, we've seen a, a kind of similar pattern to Dmitry Rogozin's pronouncements again. The growing tension between the United States and Russia over the war in Ukraine has entered the spaceflight industry. The topic came up during this morning's SpaceX Starlink launch. In West he said, let America cope without us. Let them rely on their broomsticks again. And the very next day, I believe it was, after that pronouncement, Elon Musk's SpaceX put some satellites into space on a Falcon 9 rocket. Time to let the American broomstick fly and hear the sounds of freedom. LD is go for launch and um, made a big point of saying, hey, our broomstick is working. <laughs> Coming up, could escalating tensions on Earth pull the plug on cooperation in space? Could it be the end for the International Space Station? But first... I'm Mariella Frostrup, and every day on my show on Times Radio, we speak to some of the biggest names in the world of the arts, culture and politics. We bring you discussions about new social trends and all the latest news, views and interviews. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really really want it all to work out while you're away. monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. When you were in charge of the International Space Station back in 2014 at a time where certainly on Earth tensions were rising because of the the invasion of Crimea uh, and yeah. the problems that were kicking off then. At the time, Dmitry Rogozhin, who runs Roscosmos, you know, the, the Russian space program, was threatening to pull the plug on cooperation over the space station, um, something that he seems to be doing again now. Were you aware of that while you were up there? Dmitry Rogozhin makes Boris or Trump look like very calm, tame, boring guys, um, He's bombastic to say the least. And he was the guy that walked me up to my Soyuz rocket. He like held my arm and walked me up to the rocket for launch. He also said, "Hey Americans, you can take a trampoline to get to the station because he was mad because we sanctioned him because he's he was Putin's deputy prime minister. We had this big ammonia leak. We thought the station was going to die. We were sheltering on the Russian segment and he called us up on the radio and said, "Hey American colleagues, you can stay as long as you want. We're going to work together to get through this." So that was like this great moment of cooperation that has clearly taken a turn for the worse. But when he made those comments, I was very aware and the first thought I had was, man, you just screwed the Russian space program because we bought a lot of rocket engines from Russia, RD180 engines because they're cheap and they're reliable, they work. And so we launched all of our military spy satellites on the Atlas using Russian engines, which is the most ironic thing of all time. And when he made those threats, I remember thinking, we're going to make our own engines and here we are 8 years later making our own engines, we're not buying any more Russian engines. And now with what he's been saying recently, he's just gone off the hinges, uh you know, supporting this evil war and just saying crazy things. <laughs> One time he said the station might f- fall out of the sky if we don't support it. It might fall on Europe or America. He said it we don't have to worry about it. It won't fall on Russia. because it doesn't fly over Russia. So I tweeted back to him. I was like that's interesting it flies over Crimea. So are you saying that it Crimea is not part of Russia? He didn't reply. But he's really damaged the Russian space program. The Russian space program is doomed in large part because of Rogozin's unwise leadership. I'll I'll put it that way. It does feel like for Russia, you know, space has always been 
one of the fronts in a war. You know, we saw it during the Cold War. There was that competitiveness, the the trying to get out there first. And then it did feel like the Cold War melting and sort of um, uh, there being some sort of rapprochement did seem to come in space too. You had moments where you'd have a, a handshake in space. Yeah. For you, running the International Space Station, which is this, you know, the great melding of both, and it, it is a great sort of symbol of, of cooperation and what, how well it can go. What has it been like watching this war of words that's broken out in the last few weeks? It's really sad because there was so much hope for Russia. You know, the 90s were terrible. And coming out into the 2000s, it felt like they were modernizing. We were very good partners on the space station. And Russia was a great partner. They provided the Soyuz. Without the Soyuz, we wouldn't have had a way to get astronauts to and from the space station for a decade. I love Russia. I love Russians. I love the food. I love the culture. And to see what's happened to their country, it's just tragic. And you talked about how in response to the threats from Rogozin back in 2014, America has started to make changes to the way it operates out out on the space station. Tell us a bit about that. And tell us about, is there a sense that the direction of travel now is towards less cooperation and towards sort of making sure you you could do it alone if you needed to? (laughs) Yeah, well, we call that the critical path. And the Russians were in the critical path on the space station, for sure. Um, We had a propulsion module that had rocket engines on the space station to reboost it so it doesn't get drugged down in the atmosphere and also control it. And we canceled that about 20 years ago because we have the Russians. Why do we need that on our own? Well, the moon program we have now, Artemis, is much more conscious of who's in the critical path. And the Russians are not involved in our moon program. And I can't imagine a scenario where they will be now in the future. But the operations on the space station were really interdependent between the U.S. segment of the station and the Russian segment. Um, They depend on us for electricity, for a lot of life support. And we depend on them for those rocket engines to reboost the station. We could do it without each other. But right now, I would say... The station has been in operation now for over 20 years. It would just be so painful to have to try and separate the two segments. It's almost worth just staying married for the sake of the kids, you know, even though we don't really want to be married. And, you know, on the on the the worker bee level, the astronauts and engineers and stuff, we still like those guys. They're still our friends. It's the same people we've been working with for 20 years. One of my former Russian colleagues was texting me right before this podcast. And that's the real tragedy. We built up all of this human relationship. The only reason there's any problem at all is because Vladimir Putin decided to invade Ukraine, kill Ukrainians, destroy their country. It's the most awful imaginable thing. If it weren't for that, our cooperation in space would be great. Is there a danger that if things carry on down this path, you could end up pulling the entire project apart? You know, could it be the end of the International Space Station as we know it and the cooperation that goes on there? I wrote an op-ed a few weeks ago about, you know, where is the red line? We haven't crossed that red line yet, but you couldn't even imagine a red line a month ago. And now the red line is very much in view. I don't know what it is. If there's a nuclear weapon launched, will that end cooperation? If there's chemical weapons, if he launches nuclear weapons at Washington and London, would that end it? I would think so. So I don't know what the red line is. I hope we don't get there. I hope the cooperation can continue in space. I mean, some of your Russian colleagues at the time, when they've gone back to to Earth after their mission, they've often ended up in politics. They've often ended up in the Duma. Was that a surprise to you? No. I mean, the thing that's so disappointing is that three cosmonauts that I flew in space with, I was in outer space on the space shuttle or space station with these guys. 
are now in the Duma and they all voted to attack Ukraine. And people say, yeah, but they have to. They don't have any option. And you know what? Everybody has an option. And if there's anybody that should be enlightened and and understand the bigger picture, it's somebody who had the privilege of spending six months in space. So that's that's been pretty frustrating for me personally. And when you sort of say for them in particular, that's what makes it so surprising. Is that because you've all cooperated so well and there is a sense of, you know, this great coming together of people for a greater purpose? Or is it just that feeling? You know, take us back to... to being up in space and looking down on Earth, what kind of perspective does that give you on the problems we're facing now? I thought my space flights would be about rockets and spaceships and the moon and planets and orbit and weightlessness. And all that stuff is part of space travel. But looking back at Earth, people always say, well, astronauts don't see borders. The reality is I did see borders. The India-Pakistan border is very visible. It's a thousand mile long. It looks like a river, but it's a military border. The most obvious border is the North Korea, South Korea one. I've posted pictures and spoken about that. It is literally night and day. South Korea is this thriving, lots of city lights country. North Korea is just a black hole. And you can see the DMZ, which by the way, is the most ironically named place on the planet. The demilitarized zone is the most heavily militarized place on earth. So you can actually see politics from space, which is something I did not expect. And it really gave me the the perspective that that's what matters. You know, it's not about the rocket science, it's about the political science. Unless we get that right, people live in misery. Politics is what really matters, and that's the perspective that I got from my spaceflight. I didn't expect it, but that's what happened. Is there a sense, you know, I, I know some astronauts have talked about it, of just wanting to take politicians up there and give them a sense of context? There is a beautiful quote from the astrophysicist Carl Sagan, who was the one that named Earth as this pale blue dot in the vastness of space. He said, that's here, that's home, that's us. On that, everyone you love, everyone you know... Everyone Everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. And the late, great Edgar Mitchell, who was on the crew of Apollo 14, exploring the moon from the lunar surface, he said, you want to grab a politician by the scruff of the neck and drag him a quarter million miles out and say, look at that, you son of a bitch. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Miami correspondent for The Times, Jackie Goddard, and former NASA astronaut and International Space Station commander, Terry Verts. You can find all of Jackie's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. Producers today were Oliver Adamson and James Shield. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening and see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.